Welcome to Laundry Day, an unfolding series of conversations between artists, friends and collaborators gathered through Crossings, a group show about intimacies and distances. Each episode explores how the works in Crossings resonate, where they intersect and collide, and where they uncover new meanings. Laundry Day is a chance to connect from a distance. In this episode, Adam Art Gallery's director Tina Barton, with artists Sonia Lacey and Alan McDonald. Let's let's get going, shall we? I'm here with Sonia Lacey, who's in Tauranga, and Alan McDonald, who's in Auckland. I'm Tina Barton. I'm the director of the Adam Art Gallery and co-curator of Crossings. We're here today to talk about Alan and Sonia's works in the exhibition, and I've brought Sonia and Alan together as they are co-located in the gallery. Alan's got a suite of photographs from a series called Here and Now, which run along the length of the Upper Chartwell Gallery, and Sonia has a two-screen video at the end of that space called Obstructions. I wonder if each of you could just very quickly say hello and describe your works in the show. Sure. Um, so the work is called Obstructions and it's a two-channel uh, moving image work uh, filmed on 16mm film uh, standing outside of uh, public swimming pools around Wellington. So I went around um, four of the council pools and... Uh, I filmed it during lockdown, the level four lockdown last year, and um, just stood on the outside of the windows and filmed the water kind of looking through the architect through the window and then the architecture. Um, so they're all very kind of empty, partial swimming pool scenes, um, and it's shown on two monitors um, side by side. So it's a kind of a diptych. Um, yeah, uh, rotated ver the images vertical, so they're kind of butted together vertically. Yeah, another another view from the outside into a space that we can't properly see. And Alan, <coughs> hi uh, Tina, hi Sonia. The nine works were made over a number of years, going back. I think the first sort of very inceptual sort of note-taking refer reference to the project was probably more than 10 years ago, but the work, the work didn't really find its full form, I guess, until around about 2017. And the works are all, I guess, large-scale photographs made on large-format film. They're all shop windows that have been newspaper. There's a veil of newspapers over the front of them. So you can't really see into the space very easily. Sometimes you get glimpses through the fragmented nature of the hanging of the newspapers. But you also get this view of the landscape behind or in front of the shop window. It's actually behind me when I take the photograph, but it's the view of the landscape in front of the window. Well, of course, that's what attracted me to that series is the fact that we're looking uh, into a space that we can't see and we see the reflections of a, another space we can't see, which is behind the camera. 
And all of our attention ends up on this layered surface where the newspapers are. Mm. But I don't think you two have ever shown together. I'm just wondering what it felt like to find yourselves adjacent to each other in this exhibition. Uh, what do you see as connections, perhaps, between your works? Yeah, I mean, I was quite delighted because, I mean, I'd seen the work online, but then to see it, you know, in the round, you know, I thought it was, a, you know, it was a strong and interesting juxtaposition. I mean, there's also an odd fact that I'd done a sort of similar project with swimming pools many years ago. Julian Dashper and Marie Shannon, they curated this little group of artists who used to swim down at the tepid baths at the bottom of Auckland. And the invitation was to make artwork that somehow related to the tepids, which at that time I think were going through some refurbishment or, you know, there was some question about their ongoing status because that they needed refurbishment that was going to cost a lot of money. And so it was a way to raise the profile, I guess, of the tepid baths. It was really great to see those images and those scenes again through Sonia's work, apart from the more immediate, obvious concerns of the reflections and the view into an inside space and the, the juxtaposition of the view with the outside space, which you've already mentioned, that's also sparked the set of memories. Sonia, what are your thoughts on being beside Alan's work? Oh, I'm just struck now how interesting it is that Alan's done a swimming pool project that isn't the one shown, and I've done all these newspaper works that, that aren't the ones shown <laughs> in crossings. I was going to say something very similar, Alan. I've seen your work online a lot, but never in real life. It is always very different when you're confronted by the objects, even when they are kind of lens-based um, media being shown, there's still a difference. When you are standing in front of the thing as it's supposed to be, you know, at the scale that it's supposed to be and the tonal register that it's supposed to be when it's not mediated by a monitor. So it was really nice to see them in real life and in such quantity as well. Yeah, I, I don't know how many people will come to the show with um, the knowledge of any of the newspaper works that I've done. But I was really pleased that it was the obstructions work that was paired with your series. I think just for some of those quite maybe simple reasons that we've already touched on, that the position of the photographer standing on the outside and, and the attempt of looking in or looking through something with uh, the the inability to actually access, I guess, is the nice connection for me between the work. I've got some questions which I'll ask later about that, your, about your own presence in the works, because that is absolutely intriguing to me. And it's intriguing to me for for the related reason that there are no people in your images and I'm very interested in the ways in which your works still speak to a social reality and yet they're unpopulated. But before we get there, I'm also really curious about your choice of medium. Both of you use old technologies, so Alan, large format photography and Sonia 16mm film. 
Could you just talk a little bit about why you prefer or choose um, those sort of old-fashioned technologies? For me, you know, like there's something about the character of film. You know, it's got a depth, it's got an aura. And also because I guess my roots as a photographer are quite documentary. I mean, I don't really see myself as a hardcore or, or documentary purist, but it's certainly that, uh, you know, certainly that sort of truth-telling language that documentary embraces is something that's quite important to me. And film has this evidential quality, not just ones and zeros. Although, ironically, like a lot of people working with film these days, the film's become a hybrid process where, you know, you make the film in this very old-fashioned analogue way, but then it gets scanned, so it gets transferred into a digital artefact. But behind that, forensically, in the background, there is this, you know, there is this, this, this artefact that has this evidential quality. I really like that factor. But, yeah, it's, it's just the character of the material. There's a depth to it. It's also a much slower way of working, particularly with a big camera <clears throat> like I use. You know, it's very considered. You're hanging around on the street for a long time. And that process of being there, you know, you meet people, the light changes and things happen around you. And I really like that really slow approach. There's a lot that I relate to about what you've just said. I often think that I'm drawn to it um, a lot. It's a lot about what happens before the exhibition for me. It suits the way I think or make, like the that you have to kind of commit to, to a shot. You know, you, you're limited because it's expensive and, you know, you have, you have a, a certain number of feet. Yeah, and you have to sort of divide it up almost spatially what you're what you're what you're going to shoot with working digitally I get a little bit overwhelmed and I feel like I just I just gather too much stuff which is you know a little bit counterproductive so uh, yeah I feel like I I have to commit to a shot and that's quite useful for my head I think there's also something that happens with the time it takes when you shoot on film well, I usually send it to Canada to get processed and then to Wellington to get digitised and then I start editing it. So there's something, say a month between when I shoot a film and when I get to edit it. So when it comes back to me, it feels a little less burdened by all the things that I wanted out of it. <laughs> so it almost feels like you're working with semi-found material, which I like that it, it feels like it has a bit of a life of its own. It's not all of my head all at once. I, I see something else in it and other people have touched it and other people have processed it. You raised, Ellen, this point of the hybrid process of uh, working with analogue and, um, and then it being scanned and and I really embrace that. I even when I shoot on film and project on film, there's only been one time that it hasn't gone through that digital process. I These days I always edit digitally um, and I quite like sort of confusing some of those technologies a bit. 
sometimes I will shoot on film and then show digitally. Sometimes it'll be the other way around. I'll have a digital original and put it onto film to show it, like I have at Dunedin at the moment. And sometimes I'll just work digitally, all you know, the whole process. So I kind of like resisting a little bit of the fetish around film a bit, um, which is, you know, it's so beautiful that it's very easy to get seduced by the medium. And I, I, I like to push back on that slightly. But I, I just think that each technology has its own time scale and sense of intimacy. And I think it's about choosing the right, the medium according to the tone that you want in the work. Both of your comments are super intriguing because I've also witnessed how much time you spend at that second phase of when you are working with the digital to prepare your images for presentation. I'm really curious to know what's going on in your head at that moment. You've got a raw material which is sort of somehow connected to reality through the analog process. But then in its digital state, it's almost as if you're standing back or away from that original reality and, and somehow interpreting it or doing something with it. What's going on in your heads at, at, in that particular moment when it's transitioning from the raw state to its final form for presentation? Mm, yeah, no, that, that's a really interesting place. I mean, <coughs> I work, <coughs> the scanner that I use, is a, it's a very difficult. It gives you so much information. Um, and... You know, and I so I, I scan the piece of film, which is fairly static, and there it is, and it's you know its tonal structure is, and its color balance is a lot in place. But the scan can go this way or that way. Often I'll shoot a digital um, snap just to get a record of how the color and the tone work in the actual scene, because. It's more, it's more accurate than what I get off my scanner because the scanner can, you know, it's this, it just gives me this, the, all the, these, these choices and it's quite wild to pull it back to some sort of neutrality or if I want neutrality at that point. But, you know, I mean, sometimes I don't, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll work with that wildness. You know, like it's a sort of a dance, I guess, between finding a subjectivity that I feel comfortable with so that it's not too divorced from how I remember the reality or what the digital snap shows me as the reality, you know, and, yeah, something that's going to work as a photograph on the wall. I mean, it's a very, it's quite a tricky process. But in, in your case too, you, you've produced a series and there's a huge degree of consistency across the series. So yeah. it feels to me that you're you're moving the subject away from the, sh the closed shop on the street into the space of art mm. where you've exerted a certain control and ins inserted a certain subjectivity to produce something that is more than just a documentary image. Would that be a fair comment? Uh, yeah, it would, definitely, because there is this sort of flexibility in the way in that colour and tone is read, I'm very conscious, I guess, of 
the palette. And photographers have always sort of worked with those sorts of controls. I mean, even in the black and white darkroom, you know, you were working with colour and tone. And the same with, well, not colour, but with tone. Um, And the same with colour printing. Photographers would manipulate the colour in various ways. I mean, there was a certain sort of typological character to that body of work and I was very conscious of it and you know wanted to maintain that as part of the work so yeah color and tone and bringing them together I certainly worked on it. And Sonia your process is quite elaborate once you get to that digital stage right? Yeah I love editing (laughs) I really um I really see that as um, a lot of where the actual making happens. You know, I'm very self-taught when it comes to using the camera. Yeah, very much an amateur when it comes to sort of film techniques. I always feel quite nervous at, at that stage, but as soon as, because I guess I, I'm very used to working with software um, through other jobs that I've done. Um, I'm I I feel a lot more fluent uh, working um, editing digitally and and. It feels like actually perversely very physical. Like it, it, it feels like putting a thing next to another thing or moving one thing into another place. Like it, it it's like making a collage for me. Yeah. So I and and I I I can I can sit there for hours and days and weeks dealing with you know the the you know units of a frame. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I really love that process. And I think I think for me a lot of it is actually, uh, Alan, you, you talk about um, having that kind of uh, digital reference point just as a reminder that you can kind of use to calibrate your uh, final film. Yeah. I think I quite like forgetting the reality of it. I like, as I said before, that sort of time distance. Mm. Um, gives me kind of permission to take it in a really different way. Mm. That's where the subjectivity of it enters for me. I don't have any kind of real relationship to the documentary, I don't think, in in my work, even though this work does kind of document a time and a space in the most direct way that I ever have. But I'm quite interested in it moving away from that. Mm. and editing helps <laughs> editing takes it there. but I also think um, like translating between the media is where something else happens and the, the different media along the way start to kind of feed into the work and kind of be a bit, bit more active mm. yeah you know it's interesting that tension between you know the document and the subjective interplay you know I do feel that as something that I'm constantly working with. Like I see myself as storytelling time and place, but they are stories. And, you know, I have this thing behind me, which is this evidential artifact of the negative. But from that position, the story can go in a number of directions, but I still want it to have some reference to time and place. So, yeah, it's quite a, It's quite a balancing act. You know, I've never really bought the neutrality of the photographer. And, you know, there's this this whole mythology of the index 
and even though I love that indexical evidential side of it, I don't think the photographer is ever objective. So yeah, it's you know how you position the work in relation to those different polarities, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I also I need that I need the specificity of the original time and location to be part of it as well. Mm. Like it wouldn't, even though I move maybe very, very far away from it, I, I need it to be there in some form, even if it's just a trace somehow. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I was interested in that quality of work. Um, newspapers of Valley, you know, you were um, you know, working with a prior artifact and even though you know, your work was crumpled and destroyed. You know, there was that there was that acknowledgement of that previous work, and the same with weekend. You know, there was there was a there's a reference to a time and a place, um, and a whole set of social circumstances, and yet there was a you know a hugely subjective overlay. Yeah, those those sorts of tensions I think are really interesting. And, you know, why I don't really regard myself as a documentary purist. It's very interesting to hear you talk. And I'm beginning to feel how we can move away both from the original reality and a purely subjective position to some kind of territory where a social or shared meaning is produced. And let's stay with that connection you have to newspapers and why you like newspapers and what newspapers say to you. How do they function metaphorically or even anecdotally? Why newspapers? Um, well, I'm an old man. You know, I was brought up in that era. I mean, my grandfather was a printer. He owned a printing business, you know, and I used to go and work there on the holidays. Newspapers came into a my family home, you know, on a daily basis. And I think I said this in the sort of, um, you know, the walk around the gallery the day after it opened. Um, it was really important, you know, because New Zealand was very enclosed, you know, and, and I was born and, you know, I was born and raised in the Hutt Valley. And ge geographically or geologically, that's very sort of closed space. I felt, you know, in some ways I felt like my, Childhood was quite, it wasn't particularly open. New Zealand in the 1950s, early 1950s. Newspapers and media were, were way out. There was no television. <laughs> it was, I remember the shock of going to my first movie. It was profound. It was such an eye-opener. And, you know, and, and newspaper, newspapers were the daily feed, you know. It was like something that came in and had all these stories and images and news so you know it's uh, it's just as i say it's old man's art you know it's um <laughs> i love the way in your talk in the gallery you saw the newspapers pinned up on the windows as spread out mm. in a way that you don't normally experience the newspaper which you where you turn the pages and you said it was a kind of like an analog version of the internet in right. that you could see multiple stories simultaneously and you could sort of just jump between them and I thought that was a a, a wonderful uh, parallel to your 
own process of moving from the analog to the digital in order to perhaps comment on the changing nature of technology and what it's done to us, I suppose, as consumers of information and in terms of our means of access, as you say, to that wider world. You know, I mean, that, that was a great thing about seeing those nine images on the wall like that too, because I'd only ever really printed two and framed two images and I'd been in a small group show. I mean, that had really been my only encounter with the finished work. So I just see nine um, you know, in that very, uh, you know, expanded install, but that whole immersive quality and, you know, just the amount of information that was there in that jumbled up way did, did lead me to thinking about how, you know, the newspaper is a it's definitely an inform information technology that has some sort of parallel <laughs> with the internet in a way that I hadn't really thought of before. That, came out of the encounter with the work in the show, which was quite interesting for me. Something I, I liked about what you said there and also obviously what the newspaper does in your images, I've worked on a lot of publications as a designer before. One thing that you do when you're, uh, when you're trying to figure out the sequencing is you make a flat plan and that is, you know, you print out, little thumbnails of all of the pages in the sequence that they, you know, you think they'll appear in and then you kind of reorder. So it felt like you were, um, you were making these giant flat plans, like real, real size flat plans of the newspaper on the glass. And, and that's something that I um, sort of immediately um, related to from a sort of making a designer, you know, a design making point of view. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was Tina's suggestion to put them on the wall on that line. And at first I wasn't quite sure whether it would work because, you know, I, I had this vision of this street of all these closed shops. You know, while I identified with, you know, that as a possibility, and I've seen streets a little bit like that, at the same time, I didn't really know that I wanted the work to be that bleak in its reading, you know, like, because in some ways I, I see the work as a sort of a homage, even though the papers are quite wrecked and destroyed. I do sort of see it as a homage to particularly the design aspects of the newspaper, I guess, um, and its utilitarian functions, you know, not sort of community building functions, maybe a, a homage to the sort of role that it had that I mentioned before, you know, as, as a sort of a, as something that came into my own, you know, childhood in a particular way and the sort of role that it performed for me. Yeah, um, I think for me, um, my interest definitely comes out of that, the background that I have working in publications. I've never designed a newspaper but I've, I've written for, the, for them um, my first job actually when I came back from London to New Zealand was um, freelance writing for the Herald weirdly mm. um, but obviously most of my most of my involvement has been through design and I uh, so a lot of the way I relate to them is in terms of the 
production and the labour practices around them, but also definitely this community building function you raised, Alan. That's where I lead into the more social discussions that sort of bubble up in my work, I guess. More and more recently, I've been thinking about the sort of structures of time that organise our lives. Maybe this comes from working with time-based art and moving image. You know, with that, you've got your, your 24 frames per second and outside of art, you've got your eight-hour working day or your five-day working week and your weekend and things like that. So I've been thinking more and more about how a newspaper can be seen as a material account of a day. Yeah, that sort of unit of a day and, and the how a newspaper kind of holds itself up to be a sort of factual record and how that might connect or disconnect with um, a more subjective or lived experience of a day. That's what I've been thinking about lately. <laughs> which which brings me to perhaps um, drawing to the end of my questions, but leaving open some thoughts about the feelings that your works evoke. I hear what you're saying, and there's a sort of melancholy in this notion of the passing of time or reflecting on a past that is the past that shaped you, which is perhaps no longer the present that you're living in. And I'm thinking about the themes that we curators who organise crossings were interested in exploring, which were to do with threshold states and portals, ways through to connect past and present, close things that are close, things that are far away, and the poignancy of that, especially when it's seen through the lens of our current moment, where we have closed borders, where we are right now speaking together in a new level four lockdown. And I'm wondering if we could end by you both talking about those works and what they are really sort of saying for you in terms of your relationship to the world or your own history. Is there something that you would like to talk about that just enlarges on what they show to respond to how you're feeling at this particular moment? I guess that's the bigger question in some ways. And I mean, this relates, I guess, to a broader body of work, which um, I've been working on for close to 20 years, which is about the sort of main street. And I mean, it's not only the newspapers, it's also the shops. You know, both of the, both of those... Um, you know, social phenomena, little cultural phenomena, you know, shopping, newspapers. I mean, they're, they're, all, they're all going through some sort of transition and they're all going online and they're all becoming digital. For me, it's about the potential flattening out of everything that occurs when so much of life ends up online. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of hard to know how pervasive these effects are going to be because you know we you know none of us have foresight into just how how far the digital is going to take over life 
but it does feel like it's changing and maybe it's changing and we'll just you know maybe maybe the main street you know all the the social space of the city will reinvent itself in a much more creative way I mean, it's happened before. Huge changes have come in. Old neighbourhoods have been revitalised and they provide a really important function in a new city. And I guess I'm interested in those changes. And, and, you know, creating some sort of document slash narrative um, around that sort of material. I think I can talk about the motivations the work in two quite distinct stages. I think at the time when I filmed the work, I, it was a bit different from how I usually work. It was very reactive. I just had a very clear feeling that I needed to capture those sites at that time, which I guess is a kind of documentary impulse, even though I've um, sort of said that, <laughs> said that that's not usually what motivates me. But I, I I was filming um, with the, my previous body of work, Weekend, in mind, which references a, a poll in London made for the newspaper trades, um, which was closed for hygiene concerns. And this work, Obstructions, were the, the polls around Wellington, which were closed for hygiene concerns as well, but from instead of the polls being the threat it was us and our um, this virus that we potentially had which was the threat and the pools seemed very pristine and protected um, by comparison. I think in the process of making the work you know other things come in and actually in your wall text Tina you mentioned I don't know if we had ever actually talked about it but you mentioned fiction uh, how it wasn't, uh, the work wasn't representation, it was the stuff of fiction. And I was reading it, I mean, fiction is always a, a really important background influence for me that I can't entirely put my finger on how, but it, it sort of helps me to structure works in a way. I was reading qu- quite a lot of, I was sort of indulging in some <laughs> pretty dark dark kind of short stories at the time. It sort of helped me create a bit of an object of, my apprehensions or something. And I think without necessarily and overtly thinking about this, I, that some of that kind of entered the work as I was making it. And it was probably it probably ended up a way for me to process some stuff. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people, and I probably me as well, were sort of saying how how wonderful the lockdown was for, you know, people as introverted as some of us in the arts and how we could, you know, we had suddenly had time and that all of that was true. But, we, you know, it's a, it was really anxious. It was a really anxious time and we had no idea what we were dealing with. I think there's a feeling in, in obstructions for me, which is, is a bit tense. Yeah. I, I got that. And yet the images are so beautiful. And for me... When I mentioned the word fiction, I was almost thinking of the future and an image of a time after us where perhaps our cities had been abandoned or something and this, the, all that was left were the signs of our past habitation. 
And I guess for me that was there was a poignancy there, but I suppose floating through my mind were far too many science fiction films, visions of survivors walking through desolate cities and so on and so forth. And Alan, for me, when I saw your work, I think there was a moment where if you want to talk about the punctum, there's a there's one particular image where you are very present in uh, as a reflection and I could see your tripod and suddenly all of those works coalesced into a kind of self-portrait of some kind and the the past flooded forward so it felt to me that between your works there was this lovely play between past and future in our particular present, which is, I guess, why we put you two together. I don't know if that's a good point to stop at. I like that as an end point. I don't think I have anything else to add. Yeah, I'm good with that. You're good with that. All right, well, let you get on with your day. Thank you, Tina. Thanks. Bye. See you, Sonia. See you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah. Bye. Bye. You can visit Crossings at the Adam Art Gallery Te Pātakatoi online at www.adamartgallery.org.nz.